Welcome to this week's episode of Talk of Bollocks, episode 133. It's me, CLB, and the other fella is on holidays. So, while he's enjoying the break, we've come up with a conglomerate of stuff from previous episodes, and this week we're going to concentrate on sport. So, we have a mixed match of sport stars throughout the Talk of Bollocks episodes. We have brilliant conversations with some of the fascinating sport stars. We have Keith Tracy talking about how his struggles collided with his promise as one of the best young Irish footballers of his generation. We have Chris Forrester and how he became a cult hero to St. Pat's fans at least. And one of the most interesting people in Irish boxing, Eric Donovan. We've had some big names in sport across this podcast and even on the live shows. So there's probably more to come in the pipeline. This may be something that we look into down in the future. So we hope you enjoy these ones. But to kick us all off, we have the biggest boxing promoter in the world, Mr. Eddie Hearn. So having your hair is a bit weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. Considering like, how the fuck did this happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, the start of every podcast, Eddie, we do a thing called Zingers, yeah? And it's an either or or a would you rather, yeah? Okay. Have you got one for us, no? <laughs> what, either or? An either or or a would you rather, whatever it's you want. It's like a little icebreaker we do with the country. Okay, either or, Conor McGregor or Katie Taylor. Oh, right, so... <laughs> You need to relax there, first of all, Eddie. Jesus Christ, you went straight in there, yeah? Oh, yeah, not me- no messing, huh? Yeah. What do we do with that one? It has to be Kate. It has to be Kate. Yeah. It has to be. There's no-, no disrespect, that. But Connor won't mind, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's the problem. I've not, not ever met anyone who doesn't love Katie Taylor. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I think he'd month. probably say Katie as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 for, for sure. Do you know what I mean? Have you got a zinger? Exactly. Um, my zinger was for you, Eddie, right? Would you rather do one round with Jake Paul or three rounds with Simon Jordan? <laughs> That's a great thing, by the way. I mean, definitely the three rounds with Simon Jordan yeah. because I'd win. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I wouldn't win. I'll, I'll probably get knocked out against Jake Paul. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'd have a good go. One round might be good for me. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But nah, three minutes. Three rounds with, with, with Simon. Yeah. It could be a slow process. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What do you think of Jake Paul? Um, I don't like. I think he can be a bit of a um, bit of a prat sometimes, mm. but I think he's very smart, and I like the way he's dedicated himself to the sport. Like whatever you think of him, like he's he's better than fighters I've had on my shows mm. in the away corner, right? So in that respect, the great thing about boxing is there's no barriers to entry. Mm. You guys tomorrow could turn up and say, oh, "I'm going to start fighting," go down the amateur club, go through the process, and and everyone, the fact that he's built a platform. And gone in at a top level and started earning loads of dough. Tough shit. I hate the thing where fighters say, "Oh, it's a joke." You know, I've been working for years and like grafting my bollocks off, and and he's just strolled straight in and made five million. He ain't strolled in anywhere. He's built the platform, built the profile, and enabled himself to go into anything he wants. He's chose to go into probably the toughest sport in the world. Yeah, but he's dedicating himself to it, so he can fight a little bit. Like he's a strong, strong kid. He's limited, but I think he's good for the sport. I think he's you know. When I watched that Misfits the other day, yeah, you know, the YouTube stuff, it's become so farcical that it's good because it separates itself widely from boxing. Yeah. But they're all characters and personalities. You know, I'm watching them ring walk and they're coming out doing these dances and like most of them are like, I mean, yeah, not my cup of tea. But <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at them going, but you're entertaining. And fighters have to understand they have to be entertaining too, not just with their fists, mm. but you have to bring out their personality. And everybody, you, you need people to have an opinion 
on everybody. Yeah, and that's the thing now, especially with social media. It's like you, talent will only get you so far now. You need to have a persona. You need to be like even the smack talking in press conferences and you need to give like an insight to who you are as a person and even maybe as a character because that's what draws the box office views. That's what pays for the tickets. And that's what you need to be in the modern day game, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think in everything, like in every sport, you've, you've seen sport thrive with personalities through eras, you know, and boxing's the same. And But sport has become a little bit robotic yeah. because there's so much money at stake. So it's all about getting your sleep, you know, eating this, doing that three sessions a day, going into the hyperbaric chamber, having an ice bottle, like... Uh, whereas back in the day, you looked football particularly. Yeah, you go on the They used to turn up game. legless yeah, you know, for yeah. the game, like hangover yeah, from yeah. the night before. Yeah. Mental when you think about it. Yeah. But they were characters, and and you you need that in sport. And um, everyone's different. I mean, Conor McGregor is probably the greatest character in combat sports, but Katie is Katie. Yeah. You, you ain't got to be loud and just outspoken, but you got to have people who got to have an opinion on you. And Katie is the quiet one. Mm. You know, she's the humble one. That's fine. You need them as well. So I have a zinger for you, yeah? What fight would you love to see from a fighter present and a fighter from the past? Any fight? Um, like, right now, I, I want to see AJ against Wilder. You know, I think I think that's a great fight. Mm. Like, two really explosive heavyweights. It's a fight we've wanted to see for a long time. And I think of the past, you know, people always talk about Mike Tyson against Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You know, and if you watch Muhammad Ali you realise how good his chin was. Like he was, don't, like everyone thinks about Ali with his movement and, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He was so tough. He had the most unbelievable chin. And obviously Tyson punches so, so hard. Mm. But there's always that debate about who wins. And, and for me, it's Muhammad Ali because, mm. because of how tough he was, you know. Who wins the AJ world, I thought you? I'm always going to back AJ. I just yeah. feel like, you know, people say, oh, AJ's a bit tentative now. He's... No, he's just more calculated in what he does. And that's a good thing against Deontay Wilder. You don't really want to go in and make it a 50-50 by just trading up. Because if you get hit by Wilder, it's all over. It's, yeah, it's all but over. to be fair, if AJ chins Wilder, it's all over as well. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But if you box him and you don't get caught and you box smart, yeah, that's it. You actually, that's yeah. a good tactic. And I yeah. think that's where AJ's at. Yeah. People talk about, you know, he's tentative and he's not. He's just become more wise. Like Vladimir Klitschko got stopped a couple of times and then adapted a style to win fights. Yeah. yeah. You know? So he's not going to go in there anymore with his chin in the air and just trade up all the time. Yeah. 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 How far are we from that, Eddie, do you think? Well, they want, it to, they want it to happen in December. You know, Saudi Arabia want it to happen. I've done a couple of fights with them. When they want it, generally it happens. Mm. Um, it's going to take a lot of money. They've got a lot of money. Yeah. But it's one of the biggest fights of all time. So, you know, we're... we're Keen to make it happen. Yeah. Look, with every guest, Eddie, we like them to take us back to the start, where they're from and what life was like growing up. But before we do that, I have to ask you a very important question. We ask every guest this and I need an honest answer, are we? Do you piss in the shower? Yeah. <laughs> right, fair it's enough. Honest, who don't? Yeah. <laughs> no. no, but who don't? I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't believe any... I, I do not believe that anybody doesn't. If they're saying that, they're lying. So we have a saying... I mean, not, e- not every shower... Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. But, but actually, probably. Yeah. Right, yeah. We have a saying. So there's two types of people in the world. There's people that piss in the shower, and there's lawyers. Yeah, so yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as Terence was saying, Eddie, if you can just take us back to the start, where you're from, what was life like growing mm. up? Mm. So I was born in Essex. I've yeah. been an Essex boy all my life. Um, my dad's from Dagenham, which is like sort of East London borders. His dad was a bus driver. He came from a council estate in Dagenham. 
not really a lot of money. Obviously, did very well for himself. As I was born, he started to make quite a bit of money, like to spend his money, like to spoil his kids. But at the same time, was petrified that I was going to be the kid that he hated growing up, which was like the spoiled rich kid. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So I had a, a very uh, privileged upbringing, but at the same time, driven and 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 sort of hammered into me about working hard. You know, he'd take me to the boxing club. I boxed, had a couple of gym bouts at sort of 12, 13, 14. I was around boxing my whole life from eight years old. You know, he promoted Nazim Hamid, uh, Chris Eubank, obviously fought Steve Collins here in, in a yeah. big fight in Cork, uh, Nigel Ben, Lennox Lewis, Frank Bruno, I mean, all of them. And my childhood was spent not just around those fighters, but around even lesser fighters that you hadn't heard of. Mm. But I lived through him, you know, in the gyms or at shows. And I was a little bit of a little toe rag because I was like, you know, my dad's Barry Hearn and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I grew up, you know, uh, as Barry's boy, really. Like mm. everyone just knew me as Barry's son, which I loved. Um, went to a, a private school, got, I say, kicked out. It's just so I didn't get the GCSEs to be allowed to stay on. Yeah. And then I ended up at some terrible college and it was the best thing that happened to me because I had a problem with authority growing up. You know what I mean? I was, I suppose I was a little bit of a sport kid, but I worked hard. I was, I had a good heart, but I couldn't really, I didn't like being told off. Yeah. And when I went to college, they never told you off. They just said, it's up to you. Yeah. It's all responsibility. You know I mean? Yeah. And that just spurred me on. I did really well, you know, got three A levels and then was supposed to go to university and ended up, I, I never wanted to work for my dad. I never wanted to be a boxing promoter either. You know, yeah. like I wasn't growing up going, oh, I want to be a boxing promoter. I was thinking I want. I played a lot of cricket, played a lot of sport. So I started uh, working for a sports management company and representing athletes because um, I watched Jerry Maguire and thought, that's exactly yeah, what that, I want to Show do. me the money. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, and then did that for five or six years, represented a lot of golfers on the PGA Tour in America. I lived out there. And then eventually just came back and, and thought, it's time to move over to Matrim. Started in the poker division. I was responsible for all the televised poker. Mm. Used to watch around the world. That was that was me and that was Matram. Mm. And then bumped into Audley Harrison and we were, we were just doing prize fire at the time. And um, got back into boxing. And, and at just at the right time where it was tired, no one was really trying. You know, I was a young promoter. I was bullish. I was outspoken. I was trying to make shows in big arenas. And... Ended up getting the exclusive deal with Sky and, and the rest is kind of history. What yeah. year are we talking there, Eddie? Um, it's about 13 years ago that I, I probably promoted my first my first fight. So I was probably just just sort of in my very early 30s. Yeah. Um, and again, like, always had a passion for boxing. Yeah. Always known boxing like the back of my hand. Studied opponents, studied records, watched thousands of rounds of sparring thousands of fights live you know yeah. and and as a 15 16 14 15 16 year old and a massive passion for boxing yeah. but then i found going out and you know i got a job and and i never expected to work in boxing yeah. you know but it's a big passion of mine not just because of the role i feel it plays in the community but also fighters are good people yeah you know what i mean generally yeah. like they're just not like the, the people that i would go and have a beer with yeah and if you can become part of that journey and play a small role in that journey. You know, my dad used to say to me, if you can get 1% of the adrenaline that a fighter gets, you're really lucky. 
Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm getting 60 or 70%, you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and those nights, you can't buy them. You know, Katie at Madison Square Garden, AJ beating Klitschko, mm. Darren Barker winning the world title in Atlantic City, Crawler winning the world title, Kel Brook beating Sean Porter, Bellew winning the world title at Everton. Yeah. Like, it's just, and Saturday, you know, there's like, it's very, special, very lucky. Very nice, lucky. Yeah. Especially when you love something like, like how I love boxing. Yeah. And it's a pain in the arse and everything that comes with it and a stick and, you know, the disappointments and the backstabbing and stuff like that. But that's when the purity takes over. And that's why I like being around Katie. Yeah. Because she kind of like throws everything back to why sport is important and, and what is great about boxing. Yeah. You know? Mm. Eddie, you kind of said yourself there, you kind of, you were a bit of a spoiled child maybe. Mm. You could have probably coasted through life off the back of your family's success mm. and uh, what have you. What do you reckon gave you that actual sport and said, hang on for a minute, I'm going to be the best in the world mm. at what I do here? Sport. sport. Sport in yeah, general? Yeah, sport. I grew up around sport. It was everything to to us. Like, And, you know, I would go, when my dad was home from travelling, We he would fair play to him. We'd go straight in the garden. Didn't matter if it was football, cricket, table tennis, whatever it was. Mm. But it was ferocious and he'd never let me win. You know, we sparred at 16 he tried to give me a beating. We had a real mm. proper scrap. Like everything was so competitive, but that's how I was built. Winning was everything, you know, and that was what he drummed into me. You know, you don't get given nothing. You know, right? you might have a nice house, and we were, but you got to earn everything. You got to win at all costs. You know, he would come in and bowl to me when I was like nine, ten. I felt like a long run with a hard ball, like whizzing past my head. Mm. Now, if we were playing table tennis, he was diving on the floor and screaming when he won 21 19, mm. you know? But yeah. when I look back, everything comes from sport and winning. Yeah. And everything that I learned through sport is just the same in business today. It's competition. Yeah. yeah. It's wanting to be the best at what you do. But it all stems from having a passion for what you do. And if you don't have the passion for what you do, you can't have the consistency or the longevity or the drive to outperform and outwork people. And that's the difference. If you love to win, if you're passionate about what you do, and if you've got a fucking great engine, you can't be beaten. Yeah. You know, and that's how we've stayed consistent at the top because time after time we've delivered and, you know, we've not under pressure, we've not backed off, we've not crumbled. You know, we've been, we've taken a few shots, you come again, yeah. you go again, you stay consistent. And that's a good lesson for people in life. You know, some people will listen and say, yeah, well, it's all right for you. You know, you had a, your old man had a few quid. Yeah. But we took the business to another level. Mm, and yeah. we did that through staying consistent. That was all, you yeah. know, and hard work. Yeah. No one works harder than me in the game, you know, and, and that's testament to me because like you say, like that's generally comes from someone who's desperate for what they want. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to win. Mm. That's mm. the difference. Yeah. Money's great. I want to win. I want to beat everyone. Yeah. I want to fucking destroy them. So it's that's worth a lot it. more than yeah, yeah, it you. is. Yeah. And I watch these interviews. I watch that and I think, right, fucking let's go. You know, but it's, it's still sport. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, it's still it's a game. Yeah. You know, who can do a bigger show? Who can sell out the arenas? Who can, and and that, that's that's how I, I live it. Yeah. When do you feel like you got that big break as like, became the best promoter? Like, I know you said you started probably 13 years ago. When do you feel like there was that switch where now? Yeah, I think, I think Anthony Joshua was was definitely, you know, not a turning point, but, you know, when we, when we signed um, Carl Froch, you know, very quickly after the Audley Harris and David Hay fight, we got to a situation where it was like, I wanted to leave boxing. I'd just taken Audley Harrison to the world heavyweight title, but it was a complete farce. Mm. 
Like, and it was a disaster. And I thought, I mean, that was unbelievable. But I'm going now. And everyone started phoning me. Froch, Kel Brook, Darren Barker, you know, saying, like, I see Matrima back in boxing. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, we just had a bit of fun. But no, no, but I, I'm interested. Then I signed those three guys. Mm. And then I'm like making big fights and then selling out 8,000 at Sheffield and 7,000 at Nottingham for Froch Butte. The viewing figures are coming in. I'm going to Sky really blagging it, going, listen, you need to get rid of Frank Warren, get rid of Frank Maloney, get rid of Ricky Hatton and just add me. And they're like, no, no, we don't, we've never really done that. I said, well, that's what you need to do. And I'm going to keep going. I'm going to show you. And we kept delivering. And when the contracts were up, they gave me all the dates. Mm. We we're exclusive, you know, and it was, it was, it happened very quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, but that was never enough for me because I keep pushing on, you know, then it was like, okay, we've conquered the UK. I want to be a global promoter. Mm. You know, how do we become the UFC of boxing? How do we become WWE? How do we build a brand and a business like that? You know, I looked at Dana White, and I looked at Vince McMahon, and I thought, I need to be like them. You know, I need to be the figurehead. So I need to raise my own profile as yeah. well. Someone's like, oh, he's more famous than the fighters. It's actually, there's a method to that madness. I don't want to overshadow the fighters, but I need to be the voice yeah. globally that when I rock up, everyone goes, that's Eddie Hearn. He runs boxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Matrim are in town. I'm buying a ticket. You yeah. know, because you can't just rely on talent all the time. You need talent. You need the best fighters. You need the entertaining fighters. But I'm the mouthpiece. Yeah. And I'm the guy who's just a 24-hour machine. It's just non-stop. Roll him out, wheel him out. I've been going since <laughs> six o'clock this morning. What time yeah. is it now? Nine o'clock at night? I don't know. I've probably got a few more interviews after. But that's, <laughs> a, but, but that's that's the talent. That's the, that's the only ability that I have. You know, I'm proper grab. And I'm, I'm 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 you know, it's a bit like you know the film Rain Man. Yeah. Right. Well, when I go and do a press conference, running a press conference is now almost like. Autopilot. Yeah, but it's like it's a it's a it's an extinct talent. Mm. No promoter now runs their own press conference. They have people who work for the, the broadcaster mm. who are now answering the questions, asking the questions, mm. and it's a, it's a sham. It's a farce. It's your show. You're the promoter. The number one job is address the people, address the media, right? And when people do do it, they've got pages of notes. Hello, just like, oh, and fight three on the card is... Zah, zah, zah. I go up there, I have absolutely no clue what I'm about to say, right? Literally, I sit down, there's 12 or 16 fighters in front of me, and they go, Eddie, going live in five, four. I've not read anything. <laughs> I've not done, you know, but I know every fighter. I know every fight that's happening. I've built the card. Of the, and I, they go, three, two, one, live. Well, we are here in Dublin, ladies and I'll do it tomorrow yeah, at the yeah. press conference. Yeah. We're in Dublin for an historic night. Your hero, Katie Taylor, is but what an undercard we got back. To, and five o'clock we kick off and I go through the records and everything. And at the end of it, I think, how'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I've no idea. But that I'm, I'm very limited in other areas. Like if you told me what to say and gave me notes to to like, you know, um, revise I'll fumble it everywhere yeah, yeah but that's just one of my abilities is to sell and when you sell with passion sales is a transfer of emotions so if I'm selling something to you and you're looking at me going fucking hell yeah. that sounds great Coy loves it he's excited you're in yeah you know yeah. And, and that when you've got a great product a great show that's easy to do yeah. but that's one of my talents is just the spiel you know the sale one thing I learned more about you is you're so adaptive you're very 
I don't know. You kind of premeditate which way the wall is going. So you re- you sign the streaming deal with the zone. Yeah. No other promoter really doing anything like that. And then you see yourself with the no context turn, mm. and you lean straight into it because you're like, this is an idea mm-hmm. for free publicity here. Mm. Where is that gone? That's that's how a lot of people would know your face as well. Yeah, I know. No con- I mean, I some people think I created that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I would, would be genius, but yeah. I didn't. It's a guy called Andy who works for the NHS. Just randomly sent me a message one day going look I watch all your interviews with Coogan and stuff like that I think they're hilarious would you mind I think there was a few no context like sites up could I run no context Hearn and I'm like like one I can't stop you but two <laughs> like whatever mate crack on who's going to be interested in that and it come out and it sort of went you know a thousand followers and then three thousand ten thousand thirty thousand hundred and then before I you know it's like half a million it's like all over Instagram it's all over my daughter's TikTok like, and it's it's become huge, like, to a point where I don't know why people are recognising me. For the boxing yeah. <laughs> or for that, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. and it's like, but it works, you yeah. know. And it, again, that goes back to whatever it takes to get people interested in the product or the brand or the event, whether it's someone's seen a uh, uh, no context of me and goes, Who, what is that guy do? Looks me up. Oh, he's a boxing promoter. Oh, what's that? Oh, he's got a show at the O2. Oh, let me look into that. Boom. I don't care. Like, yeah. and, and that's the thing with me is, I think as you get older, you care less. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I don't, I look at some of these sometimes. Some people might find them cringe or embarrassing. You know, Frank, who works with me, my CEO, takes a mickey out of me all the time. <laughs> and I just sign with men's health and like, I'm doing like, but I, know, I never take myself seriously. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I might wear a dodgy Dolce Cabana shirt that they'll send me at the way and people go, what are you wearing? And I'd be like, I oh, know, it's terrible. And like, I love it. <laughs> but like, maybe when I was in my 20s, I would never have done that. But yeah. you just, once you become comfortable in yourself, it's a great place to be. Yeah. And I think if you don't take yourself too seriously, yeah. people really like that. That was Eddie Hearn. Up next, we're going to hear from St. Pat's legend, Chris Forrester, who spoke to us about growing up in the north inner city and how he overcame some huge personal struggles to carve out a career in Irish football. Well, it's a bit of a dream come true, being here. The presence of greatness. <laughs> yes! Yeah, I love that. He gave you a bit of stick, didn't he, saying he'd never come on, Calvin? I'm just going to sting him off. Off the bat. <laughs> right, so... Yeah, I think that was about... Uh, I think that was about three weekends in a row I bumped into you. Would it be right in saying now it was before Christmas, so I'm not going to get you into trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I was in the off <laughs> season, bumped into him in town, and he was a bit brave. You had a you had a few on him, and he was like, "Your podcast is shit. I'd never go on your podcast." And like I was like, "No, you won't, because you only have good footballers on it." That's an absolute lie, by the way. <laughs> so he was giving the loads, and then I bumped into him a few weeks later, then, and he's like. If I ever did come on your podcast, like, you know what I mean? This, that, and the other. And now here we are. Get. Can I give my side? Go on, well, give us well, the wrong well, side of the story there. Go on. So I walked up to you and was giving you a lot of admiration. <laughs> Asked where Terry was. <laughs> Terry was gone. So I said, right, I'll take the lesser half of the podcast. Give him a compliment. <laughs> and I said, I think your podcast great. Well done, fair play. I asked, bring me on it. You said, no, we only have good players on it. 
And that was it. That believe was it. Or not, I believe Gimp more than I believe Calvin. 100%. Yeah, that's definitely what Calvin would say. 100% so. No, you know what I'm like, Terry? I'm real welcoming to people. Unless they say something smart to me, then I have to say something smarter. So yeah, he came up and he was like, a podcast is shy. I'd never be on it. I was like, I know you wouldn't because you only have good players on it. That's exactly word for word what happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was sober. So was I. Why are you? Yeah. Why are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> he was dribbling and doing set ball but he had no football. <laughs> Right, boys. Yeah, first and foremost, how are you keeping? How's things, bro? Yeah, I'm not too bad, yeah. Yeah, uh, flat out. Flat out training. Yeah. Delighted to be here. Get up, Elda. Have you any zingers for us? <laughs> no, I've no zingers. I've been trying to think since the other day. We have a zing up last week, yeah? Cool. Do the match on this one yourself. Would you rather two cent for every step you take, right? Or 50 cent every time you jump? Ah, uh, two cent. Every time you take that, a step? I checked that this morning. <laughs> well, yeah, you having a scam? I was, you was like, yeah, I'll take the two cent. Would you take the two cent? Yeah, a lot, a lot of effort 10, in 10, jumping. 10,000 steps is 200 quid. And that's what you average a day, is 10,000. Well, the average person average 10,000 a day. Yeah, that's... Is he, yeah? Mm. So and what then if you're jumping and all, it's a lot of, lot of effort in doing jumps. Yeah, like you never jump in your yeah, normal just walking day like normal, So how many jumps would you need to do up uh, 200 quid? 400. 400, yeah. 400 jumps compared to 10,000 steps, boys. 10,000 steps is handy. You've probably done about 2,000 coming over. Yeah, easily. And then walking back and then going about your day. Yeah, see, I'm still not fully convinced, boys. I don't know what I take. Yeah, you'd get paid more for running around the pitch taking two cents a step than you do now. Yeah, so we get a distance and all in games and all, so it's handy. What are you averaging like, in a game? You'd know that. What are you averaging? I'm always up there, like... Yeah, give us a We played yesterday or whatever, and uh, I think it was like 10, 5 or something. 10.5k. Not bad. That's, that's good going. That's not bad, yeah. That's good that's, going. And it was a hot day as well yesterday, so. Usually yeah. the, the most I think I've done was about 12. This is the excuses for excuse getting beaten yesterday, isn't it? <laughs> 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 it was a bank holiday as well. Yes. So 80% of people would do the 2 cent mm. step and 20% do 50 cent for a jump. Make it euro a jump. Make a... Oh, ah, now come out, you'd be bleeding. Now. You'd be jumping up and down the stairs coming out of the gaff. Wouldn't you? Get, well, I'll give you a previous thing, yeah? Yeah. So, what three things would you bury under the spire for a time capsule to be opened in 200 years' time? <laughs> so, what would you do? What would you bury under that? I don't even say a patch jersey or anything like it. Uh, <laughs> he's Jeez, I couldn't tell you. Come back to me at the end, I'll have a thing for you. I don't know. Come back to him at the end. Yeah. What did you say? What did I say? Smokes. 20 blue, did I? Yeah, man. No, there's 20 blue under the spoil. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what you have under it. 20 blue under the spoil. How would you find this out? What was it was that? the anniversary there in January yeah. or something, wasn't it? It was like 20 years. It was 20 years since he put the spoil up in yeah, January. Yeah. So. And he put a letter from the Lord Mayor in there. I don't even. Who was the Lord Mayor at the time? That changes every 20 minutes now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He just changed the Lord Mayor every so I was like, what's the fucking point in that? Yeah. And then <laughs> what else was under it? There was a paper, a newspaper, an Argus catalogue. Was that not something, the price or something, so they could compare it to the price? No, but they should put a Temple Bar receipt in the nail. Yeah. (laughs) Shouldn't they, bro? They did not put a a restaurant menu. They put a restaurant menu in it. They show what food that you were serving back then. I think that was it. That's a mad one. What would you put under it? You point at me? Yeah, you. Well, I don't know what I put in now, in 2023. Fuck. Is there anything popping into your head yet? A vape. Put a vape in it. A vape, yeah. 10 years time they're going to be banned killing people and you're going to be looking like how the fuck were people going around swinging out of them yeah 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 it is a bit they are a bit heavy them yeah well, it's just in the open it's just a Duracell battery with a straw <laughs> on it <laughs> <laughs> it is you ever see yeah. them 
Harry loves a vape. Yeah. No, boy. Harry okay, loves a vape. You're bringing me vape. You know, watermelon yolk. <laughs> yeah. Boys. Elf I, bars and all. I think that hawks you. Boys, wow. I, I'd be walking around town with those kids like. Yeah. 12. You see. 11, 12. Swinging out of them, yeah. Like, that's madness, boys, mm. no? Like, I'd. And not a bother to them, like. Not a bother no. on them. That man's are getting them the vapes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's better than you, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know? I don't know, boys. It's worse than smoking. Do you reckon? Yeah. Ah, there is some long term stuff going to come out about that. It's not more concentrated than smoking. What's that mean? As in, like, it's a higher amount of shit in it. Yeah, so if there's smoke. about bleeding 10 million puffs in the thing as well. I don't believe that, boys. I, that's why I don't vape, boys, because I don't got a proper drag off it. Then a good John Blue take the lung out of boys. That's been a shit. You're the only fella in 2023 who promotes smoking. No, I'm not. Listen, don't start smoking, do you get me? I'm just saying, I smoke and my lungs are in rag order. How straight look. Like, sound like a motor break in the morning. Yeah, bro, yeah. lung like a cocoa pop. I mean, bits going around there. Ring it in the morning. Every time it rings, he's out having a smoke. I don't know. Do you need a like? Would you say like proper addicted smoking? Like, oh mate, I'm heavy on. How long you been smoking? Ah, since I'm about fourteen. Is it? Yeah. We kept them up for a while. Kept them up for six months. Did you feel fresh? Like six? Oh, he was fresh. (laughs) I was in the the nick of his life. (laughs) (laughs) He was worth a thousand steps a day. (laughs) Boy, smokes. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Twenty quid for smokes, bro. Nineteen fifty, I pay. But I get 27 blue. What <laughs> you get me? 27. I remember. 27, bro. I remember it's like one a year. suitcase in your pocket. <laughs> one year that went up to 12 euro and it was more. It's a 1950 now. I pay 19. Yeah, no, I remember my ma used to always be fuming every time. A, the budget a, comes a budget out. Yeah. yeah. Fucking smokes gone up to 17 euro fuming yeah. in the gaff. No. I remember that was 12 quid yeah. and that was like, that was killing. 12 quid for smokes. 1950, Terry. It's a heavy addiction, that. Oh, boy, is it? Serious, <laughs> why? I remember you could get 10 blue. Like, you could get 10 blue back in the day by like 7 euro and all, 6 mm. euro and all. And now it's like 27 blue for 20 quid. <laughs> Yo, mate, got rid of them. Got rid of what? Me, how man? Got rid of the smokes. To 10 blue, yeah. Not little them in small quantities. Anymore. Why though? I don't know. He said it on the podcast. <laughs> no, he brought in the smoking bags. Yeah, and, and he said it. Pubs he said, and all. And he said, what do you think of that? Oh, what? Look, he's trying to hang us out the trees like a journalist over there. What do you think of what? <laughs> <laughs> the smoking man and pub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think, think it's great. For you, as I say, like it's good because I'd be lighting smokes here and non. I just chain smoke on the podcast yeah. that smoking band was. Did you ever go to pub like when you're younger? Just the cloud, yeah. Just but no one said that. No one no, ever used to say like, so oh, normal, like smokes in here." They'd Everyone be sitting there all day with a pack of bacon fries and a bleeding yeah. glass yeah. of coke, yeah. and bleeding it yeah. all. Yeah. At least you weren't neglected. Which one, which man? That. Do you know what I mean? No, but look, people ran a muck when that smoking man came in. The yeah. people wanted to keep it the way it was. Look, could you smoke walk now the oil like and all? I don't know. I don't know about okay. that now. And the matter that we can't remember that. Yeah. Well, that was brought in in what two thousand and one? Oh four. Oh four. Oh four, yeah. So we were about nineteen when that came yeah. in. We were old. He was getting trials and all that. Terry was on trials as well. Yeah. <laughs> Up in the CCJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a mad one. Could you smoke in airports and all? You could smoke on a plane. On the plane? Yeah, yeah, at one stage you could, and then they got rid of that. Yeah, that's why they used to always bring this and no smoke and fly. Because I remember I used to think when I was on a plane years ago, they always say that this yeah. and no smoke and fly. I was like, does that mean there is smoke and flights? And I was playing to you, so you know, Fly to Ibiza, though. Oh, but yeah, seriously, boys, that's why, like, I, like, 
will never do a long flight. When I went to Tokyo to get my teeth done, that was like over four hours, boys. You just wanted yeah. to see me in that flight. I felt like opening the doors. Some man. airports have like smoking boxes. Yeah. Did you ever see them? Yeah. You go in, it's just a glass box you can smoke in it. Instead of going outside. What, like in the airport? In the airport, yeah. Dublin airport just has the little smoke nearly in the pub. Yeah, but a uh, proper airport that does be bleeding you, you know the big you jokes? Yeah. Like, I mean, these things are the size of towns. And you can't go outside. You go into this like glass box and the ventilates are all out and you're brand new then. That's, why don't you just have them everywhere? Because it's probably expensive. I hate even walking through a smoking area on a night out. Yeah. You come out and you smell the oh, smoke. Yeah. On the way out of the door, you're like, I'm stinking the smokes already. Yeah. Poxy buzz. Sticks yeah. with you, that smell as well. It's rotten. Oh, it just sticks on you. Right, where are we going? Yeah. We're going to jump straight into you. Yeah. Right? So, what's your name? Where'd you come from? What was life like growing up? Uh, Chris Forrester. Born at Ebony. Grew up in Queen Street. Uh, I didn't say sorry to her because he's one of our own. Yeah, he's one of the boys. Uh, grew up yeah. in Queen Street. Yeah, life was grand growing up. No bother. Pretty normal childhood. Just you just obviously start playing football young then. Ah, yeah. Around Sounds... the area and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd be out all day playing it. Yeah. Literally all day. I sometimes even sleeping with a ball. Sounds a bit mad, like, but sleeping with a ball and all that crazy stuff. And that's, that's all I ever knew, like. Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously went to in town and all, did you? Yeah, I went to Brunner. Then, like, so when you when you were in school, were you, like, going on trials and stuff like that? No, see, that's the thing. I, I didn't start playing for Belvoir until I was 17. 17? Yeah. So, what age did you start playing football then? I was playing football all through that time. Like, I'd been at, like, Bowers on the Nines, team called Frankfurt. Just all the lads, like... Frankfurt? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> but, uh, played with a team called Frankfurt, then played with Smithfield. The lads set up a team called the Smithfield, but I would have been about 15. It was, like, another 13s, 14s league. So you were a banger? I was a banger, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I was little, yeah, because obviously I was tall enough in the... Playing against younger boys, just doing all sorts of skills and all bleeding. We are just bashing people, like physically and mentally, like just battering them. And then I went to Belvoir then when I was 17. Uh, Anto Corkin was the manager there. And then that was it. That was the only real ever kind of structured setup I was in. So, like, most footballers, like, they're in when a the... proper football academy. Yeah. yeah. All the way up. Like, that's what... on trials and skill and all. They're like, fuck mm. the junior shit, the leave and shit. And now what I want to do and all this yeah. carry on. That wasn't like It was that. like that. Now, there was a potential for me to go to uh, Larkin. They had the, the football scholarships yeah. and stuff, but I didn't really want to go down into town and stuff. Uh, it's only up the road. I was miles well, no, off. There was like no you... Lewis or anything then, back in the day. People used to come from Tallaght to go to Larkin. Yeah, now one of the lads, he was in there. And he ended up giving uh, some townie a box. He's from El Palmerstown way. Gave them a box and he said, there's about 40 young boys waiting outside the fence for him after school. <laughs> he had to run to the bus car and the bus got gone. Never showed up to the school again. Like yeah. That's what I was like, I don't know. I had the potential to do that. But not just it. Like, I'm actually, the way that I've done it, I'm actually probably better off. So I find a lot of people that went to academies and stuff when they were younger. Kind of lose the kind of love for the game and stuff. Yeah. Whereas I always loved it just because it was... All I knew, and whereas yeah. then it became a job. If you're going to these academies, you're just setting targets that are probably a bit unrealistic. I just knew I always wanted to play in the league, league of and play for balls, and then thankfully ended up doing that. So how do you get that break when you're playing for Belvo? Then what happens then? We had a very good team. We are very, very good. We end up winning the All Ireland down in Cork. It was on your team. Anto Cork and Lee Swords, Graham Parkinson, a few others. Do you know Anto Cork? Yeah. Yeah, they were all there, and a few others that had kind of you know Sean Skelly. Yeah, he was there. He, skill, he was unbelievable. Yeah, um, he was there, and it was just a good team and it was good lads, I suppose. But uh, yeah, play for them, won the All Ireland, and then uh, we were all kind of potentially going to these teams in the league, and then Bowers had ended up going bankrupt. And uh, I remember one day Pat Fellin came to the training session, pulled us all in, and basically just said we want everyone here to come play for Bowers on the 19s, on the 20s league, because they were obviously struggling. They couldn't sign the players that they 
would usually be signing. So we went all went in there on amateur forms, wasn't getting paid around. So it was all right for me because I, I always wanted to play balls anyway. So it was a great step. Uh, went in there and then had a year there, yeah. So then how do you get that break into the first team then? So you're obviously under 20, did you say that? Yeah, so you're playing in the under 20s league and then obviously if you're doing well, like they'll call you up to the bench or whatever. I remember Key Buckley and Roberto Lopez, they ended up playing a lot of first team football. Yeah. Just because of the numbers, like might have been injuries and, you know, just the, the way it went. I think I played 11 games or something that year off the bench and maybe started one or two. But yeah, no, it's just through training. They obviously then would pass us up. He's doing well. We'll take him up, have a look at him and then... Yeah, if you're good enough, you'll end up getting in. Is anyone in your family involved in football? Uh, no, not really, no. I think my cousin Marco went on through all the leads one year. Yeah. And uh, he was going on the Debs with his board. And uh, it was either you go on that Debs or go to Leeds. You go to Debs, Grant, you go to Leeds, we're, we're not together anymore. So I think he chose to go to the Debs with his board and then ultimately ended up breaking up, I think. But, uh, Boys, I know one or two of them. Yeah, like there's a lot of stuff like That's that. heavy. I know and, uh, one or two yeah, people who came home. What age you? 16, 17, going to Debs? Yeah. yeah. So, I know a few people who came home from, like, being yeah. away and then they're not yeah. together then three months later. And you it don't is hard, over. like, it is. You need to find, like, a good balance in that. There's a lot of people that could have went and played whatever leagues and obviously got boards, got them pregnant, just went off the rails. So there's a lot of looking at it as well, I suppose. So what I ask that is, do you not, did you not have somebody who kind of like pushed you into football or someone you, you looked up to and like, I want to be like them or whatever? It just came natural to you? Not really, no. I just was always set on it. I always yeah. knew what I wanted anyway. There was a lot of help. Like my man always pushed me towards it, but she wouldn't know what she's talking about, you know, that kind of way. She'd back you in whatever you wanted to do, but it was truly down to myself. And it's probably because of that I didn't end up at one of them academies or like playing for a better team as well as growing up. What was your time like at Bowes? I was deadly, yeah. You inspired to play at Bowes then, you get that chance then. Yeah, because I would have still been going as a fan, I suppose. And then obviously sitting in the dugout watching the fans and I was deadly. And then you see everyone around there, they're just Bowes fans. So I was deadly just in the other looking at you as if you're some sort of god going around. I was still going up in my school uniform to train and all. So it was, it was a bit mad, like, and you're playing with people that I've watched, like Killian Brennan and stuff. Players that I've watched throughout the years, I'm going to the same change room as him. He's coming in in a nice car and coming in a bike and <laughs> skill bag on the back. Like, <laughs> it was a bit surreal, but stuff like that is, is stuff that kind of sticks out in your memory. Like, I'd love to start going to some League of Ireland games. I always say, I always say, I'm going to start going up to the Bowers games. Where mm. I'd be getting stick off people, boys. I'm going to be working. I know, realistically, you should. Like, it's only up the road for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid yeah. to do it. I used to go years ago. I went to a few years ago. Ah, yeah, sure. I used to call myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, but I just the kindness there. used to be little skilligans running around. Yeah, literally. Yeah, oh, it does. Yesterday was uh, late in the hospital. Where's Lovers? Where's Lovers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, oh, I'd love to start. But I feel like I'm mad bandwagon at the end if I just jumped on board now at this big age. I know, it's no like, problem. Like, they, they need people like that. That's what I Yeah, and then you introduce Calvin to it. Yeah. Calvin introduced the next person. Well, I'm afraid to, like it, to be honest with you because, like, I'd, I'd no affiliation with anyone in League of Ireland. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if I said, like, all right, I'll go to the Bowls game, we should tell you someone, like, why are you going to Bowls? Why not yeah. go to Shells? I'm like, well, I'll go to Shells and someone's Where would be Why do you not go to Pats? And I'm like, you can't win, you know what I mean? Yeah, you no, should be just true. happy that there's more people going to the League of Ireland. That's what you find a lot of that now. A lot of people on Twitter are saying, oh, bandwagoners, but they're moaning about I put a tweet about United and I get slated. Why don't yeah. you support League of Ireland? So look, I'll, I'll go right, I'll go to the Rovers yeah. match then. You'll be like, why are you supporting Rovers and not Bowls? You know what I mean? You yeah. just can't yeah, like, win. You'd see a tweet saying, oh, there's only a thousand at the match. Crowds are shit, boys, nobody supports us. You get 3,000 in, 2,000 of them are only in the door. Yeah. Get out, you're so many bandwagoners. Yeah, That's, you can't win. Like, it's fucked, like. Yeah, but boys, I'd be getting stick. Like, sometimes I'd be walking through town and someone would be like, your balls cunt, and like, 
Well, look, I've been to a Bowls game for 15 years, by the way. You know what I mean? And we had more Rovers players on here than anywhere, yeah. didn't we? Two yeah. Rovers. Two Rovers, yeah. One Bowls. Yeah. Well, you're a former Bowers man. I'm a Pats man. You're I've a been at Pats. Pats for years. I'm a Pats man. Keith Tracy's technically a Pats man. He does the commentary on our games. Keith does. Yeah. He's a baller as well. Yeah. He was supposed to be unbelievable, yeah. yeah. Who's was the best at... player you played with at Bowers when you were there? That's a good question. Look at you stuck now. Uh, Killian Brennan. Killian Brennan? Yeah. He's a good player. He's from he's from Drogheda. He's a bit of a mountain bike, but he's alright. <laughs> <laughs> he was deadly now, to be fair. Yeah. So... Obviously, now you were at Bowers. So how long were you at Bowers for then? Just a year. Just one year at Bowers? Yeah. And then you move on? I went to Pats then, yeah. Is that because you were in the amateur contract? It's easy to get you out of that, like? Yeah, it was it was easy. And then Pats were coming in with a little a few quid. So yeah. I wasn't loads now, but it worked well because I was doing the FAI FOSS course. Yeah. I don't know if they've ever heard of it, but yeah. it's in uh, the bogeys in Cabra. So they allowed me to do that and you can get like qualifications like in PT and whatever like that. So they allowed me to do that and walked it around that. So I got kind of got paid from both, mm. which which was beneficial. Yeah, so I ended up going there because it just made sense. And then Bowers didn't have the money to, to keep me. <laughs> Looking for a few quid. Look at happens. A few quid, quid so Billy. And then on the push out with the skill uniform. And you it's not millions getting thrown around the league. No, that's what I mean. Like, so you have to, and people don't understand that. Like, and I know a lot of players go to other teams and I might be only a couple of hundred quid, but paying a mortgage or whatever, it's, it makes job. a difference. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like only one year contracts as well, really, isn't yeah. it? So Rovers pay the most money in the league, don't they? Do they? Yeah, the wages it would like, be. Yeah, you would, have the yeah. biggest crowds and kind of the best setups and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Even their training facilities now are supposed to be top of the range. They probably yeah, are the best yeah. club in the country. Yeah, no, definitely. I wouldn't even be debate. They are best run club in the country. They have got the best facilities. <laughs> they have. Let's call a spade a spade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, that stadium. Did you ever see that stadium? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. building a new stand and all. It's perfect. It's a proper stadium. And they're fan owned as well, you know what yeah, I mean? So they have to, like, the finances are run, like, to the. To be to fair, the a lot of the clubs are run very well nowadays. Yeah, now, yeah, now only in the last, say, four or five years, years yeah. that's had to happen. Mm. Whereas, like, when you were going 30, do you know what I mean? It, was, it, it would have been just cartonage, yeah. Was, but, was, you would have been watching me and bleeding in yeah. school, which you probably know. And then yeah. watching proper players now in professional setups. Yeah. Yeah, so it's come on leaves and bounds, yeah. Mm. What was your time like at Pats then? I did. The force bet. Yeah, I was there for what three and a half four years you yeah. Up, didn't you? yeah we were very good it kind of comes around like that a team will be good for a certain amount of years and then kind of dip away like that's what so I'm not fully in the loop with the League of Ireland yeah, yeah. but like the last time I was looking at it a few years ago Dundalk were like winning yeah. the league like every year no Dundalk, you were like unbelievable yeah, in Europa yeah, League and all where yeah. are they now Dundalk then Cork Cork only Cork, coming back yeah. up from the first division this season yeah. and did they? Good chance of getting relegated again. Yeah, that's like, struggling to be fair. shit this season. But so what's the story with Dundalk? Are they still good? No, they're all right to be fair. They're not as dominant as they were. So how did they fall off so quickly? What happens there? Just so. investment in players and like yeah. who they sign. Obviously, they get a few more quid and then they sign not the right players or they don't invest in the youth or whatever and then they just kind of tip away and then you always have others kind of closing the gap. If you're not making a four, that these are coming closer, so kind of. They yeah. catch up on you, and that was that was the time of us. We were we were that team, and then Dundalk were the up and coming team, mm. and then they obviously had Cork and their coattails, and then I think it would have been Rovers after that, and then Rovers have dominated for a few years, like. And then like some of the best players in the league of Ireland, then I think it's easy for them to get their heads turned, like when an English club comes in for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you see, with the, the story is that what with, happens with, with Jack the other day? He had the potential to go to America. Who did? Jack. Yeah. And then they, the club turned it down, which probably wouldn't have happened a couple of years back because the club would have said, well, we, we need, need the money. money. Yeah. Whereas they're in a, a good financial situation now where they can 
say no we want to keep our best players and, until we get you know the right amount of money that we feel is worth yeah so. and that was an MLS club was it yeah yeah Charlotte Charlotte was it that would have been deadly for, for, for everyone <laughs> yeah, Jack. He would have gone to the team of the Stop. week then. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't have got battered two weeks ago. <laughs> Up next, we're going to hear from Mr. Eric Donovan. Eric is someone with a fascinating story. He's a man who had all the potential in the world to go and become a world champion and decided at a very early age to pack it in. But then he sat there with the guilt and the fact that he hadn't completed his full potential and came back in his 30s at this, at this rate. And this is a story that's really connected with our audience. So we hope you enjoy. Yeah, my name is Eric Donovan. I'm from Atoy, County Kildare. And, uh, Sorry to hear. <laughs> <laughs> what was like life growing up? Yeah, it's pr- I, well, to be honest with you, I, I had a fun upbringing, but it was a tough upbringing. You know, it was a tough upbringing. Like I, my mom and dad, like as I said earlier on there, they got married very young, you know, and uh, I was their fourth child. And when I was around... Six months old, I think they, they set, their marriage broke down. And uh, my dad moved off to, to, to England. He lives there today. Still, we have good relationship and that, but uh, like he's he's living over there. He's married. And um, my when I was about three years old, um, my mom met my stepdad, Brian. And they're still together today. And I have two younger sisters from there. So there's six of us, you know. Six, well, six kids and then my mom, Brian. And we grew up in, like I said, a council estate. It was it was some crack growing up, like you know what I mean. Really fun, like you know, because huge families, populated area, bit chaotic, but yeah. there was there was beauty in that. You know, yeah. everyone in and out. Like if I went back to that state now, I don't, I couldn't tell you ten households, you know. Yeah. Mm. But there was 120 houses or something like that. Sorry, it was 112 before there was a little, a, kind of an adjacent estate built onto it. You know, it was extended a little bit. You but find that Eric, sorry 112 houses, yeah. When you go somewhere and it's quiet, like you know, if you were in a house that's quiet, and you're like, I, I can't settle here. <laughs> you're not find that. Yeah, well, just because you said about the chaos and having yeah, a big family and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there probably is an element of that. We're very loud, you know, yeah. very loud when we talk and all that. Like you know, back in my house, I uh, and I don't know if it's because they're all shouting over each other, trying yeah. to be heard. That's you need that kind of little bit. Of that's what it's like because I moved to Elmy myself. Yeah. When I got Silence can be deafening. Yeah, man. yeah, we fucking yeah. hate like John when there's like you yeah. can't. You're just sitting there in the house and it's quiet and you're like, it's too quiet. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? And then I go into my mom's house, I cause murder in there, and then I leave and I'm like, right, I needed that little dose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I got home. Yeah. Sorry, you know, anyway. no, no, no. So that, like that was it. just I knew everybody. I knew everybody in the estate, you know, and. Uh, Every household, you know, and like I said, it was good fun, really good crack. And uh, there was a railway, there was a track behind the, behind the estate. And we used to spend a lot of time out there and just running out the fields and playing sport, doing every, all sorts of things, you know. And then, um, school, like I said, school wasn't, you know, I didn't really excel in school at all. Um, and I gravitated towards others that didn't, ex- you know, kind of were on the kind of same kind of level as me. So I didn't feel alone, do you know, that kind of way. You kind of gravitate towards them. But um, I was seven years old and I walked into a boxing club and that was a game changer for me because growing up in that kind of dysfunctional kind of environment and even even with my family, like there was a, a huge bond and I, like there's a great bond and connection for each other, great love for each other. It's a bit dysfunctional though. This, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then school was kind of like... School is a routine and structure environment, and I didn't really have that routine and structure, you know. It's a little bit kind of chaotic, my own, my, my own self, like, you know, a bit wild. Um, 
But anyway, when I, I followed my two older brothers down to the local boxing club, it was in an old nun's hall on the outskirts of, of the estate we grew up in. And um, my, I remember floating the idea by my mom. She didn't want me to go, you're not going, you're too young, it's too rough and tough and everything, you know, but I... I, I hate to say this, but there wasn't many times where I actually followed me mum's advice. <laughs> <laughs> poor mother, um, my poor mum. But uh, yeah, um, no, went in and I loved it. As soon as I walked in, I loved it, like everything about it. You know what I mean? The atmosphere, just and and then I excelled, and then boxing kind of just became the most positive kind of influence in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. And I had a great coach, brilliant coach, and some like you know we forget like it's a thankless job too being yeah. a coach in a in a kind of a volunteer sport you know like boxing or GA or soccer or whatever it is but coaches can have an, a, an incredible impact like teachers on, on young yeah. kids and my coach had a great impact on my life mm. Mm. and do you ever have any aspirations as a kid to do anything other than boxing do you ever think like I'll become whatever no no never never did never, never actually had to stop and think you know it was just kind of like just kind of a just a wild young kid that just kept going with the flow wherever the kind of Lights directed me. I was guided by the wrong lights, though. You know what I mean. But, uh, but I just kind of kept flowing with it, like you know. And uh, there was never, never a time where I thought, oh, I'd... no. You know, you'd you'd hear some of your friends getting a job here, or getting a job there. Or job... Building sites were big. You know, when I was becoming a teenager, the Celtic Tiger was yeah, coming. You know, yeah, and yeah. some lads were leaving school and they were laboring on sites, getting big money. You know, and I'd be like, oh, I want to do that, but. So I walked onto a site, I wouldn't know my arse, my elbow, like, you know what I mean? And I just was never that kind of a, no, I'd never savvy around that kind of area or in that environment, but um, just kept going to the boxing. I excelled at boxing very young. Um, 11 years of age, Irish champion and, you know, winning winning multiple, multiple Irish titles, getting, you know, 14 years of age, I was being called up to, rep, you know, represent Ireland and yeah. captain the team and go to European school by championships. And even in school, I was walking around school academically kind of completely clueless but I felt like I was a champion so I was somebody like a bit, a bit of an ego you know Yeah. and uh, you think you're great and all but you know later on you can you know when you grow up and you, you start learning about things in life you realise that your amigo or your ego is not your amigo you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so but that was it this boxing then we kind of came something it, was, it wasn't something that I said oh wow I can go somewhere with this it wasn't like that it was just something that kept me out of trouble and something that gave me a so, something to do I remember winning the Irish title at 11 years of age and it was for the first time like first time that I was aware of it but I got a lot of attention and I got a lot of praise and I, these were things that I wasn't really used to you know and I loved that you know oh well done champ you know you're great people were really noticing me you know what I mean and I did have a special talent like I really did because it was easy for me and guys were not really getting close to me at all you know mm. and I was winning with relative ease you know and I had a great head for the game. I was a southpaw, left-handed, and I'd, it was a computer scoring system, the old computer scoring yeah, old system. Day, that's, yeah. that's gone now, but, you know, I was elusive, I was slick, I was sharp, I was fast, you know, and I you know, did really well. But when I hit the age of 15, boxing became uncool, or, or I okay. became uncool for boxing, you know, because that was the same age I dropped out of school, and that was the first, like, kind of that area I started dabbling in, drink and drugs and you know getting a taste of that lifestyle and wanted to be hanging around in the alleyways and the fields and boxing not, was getting in the way didn't want to put in the hard work yeah. and no running the roads or sacrificing or dieting or anything like that anymore so yeah 
And 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 I'd, I'd, I'd go away from the club and I don't know how many times I left the club and wouldn't go back and that's when my coach would, would go on the pursuit and he'd follow me and he'd come to the house and he'd pull me back and talk to me, you know, listen to me and he went above and beyond the call of duty when it comes to coaching, let's say. Because nowadays, like I often think if I if I put a different coach or whatever like to the same, they'd say, good luck to him. Do you know? Let a man, good luck. Yeah. But he never, you know, he always kept coming back because he knew I was making the wrong decision, you know. And, yeah. And he pulled me back and he pulled me back and he said, this is coming up. You can go here, you can go to the Olympic Games, you can go to the World, the Europeans, you know. And he'd be like, mm. Jesus, he's right, you know, you know, you know, because sometimes it was that FOMO. You know, when you're young, at 15, sure, I know everything. I'm 15 yeah. years of age. I know everything, like, you know, and you know nothing. You really don't. You really think you're missing out when you're not mm. out with the boys and you're yeah. not drinking. Yeah. You're missing nothing. Yeah, and you know nothing either at that yeah. time. You think you know everything, you know. So, um, no, I'm so glad that he he, he did. And then I, I became a Thais for my club's first ever senior All-Ireland champion, which is huge, you know. Yeah. Senior, 18 years of age, 2004. And, Boxing now kind of changed for me from being a potential, from being something that was just a hobby and keeping me out of trouble to being a potential job, a potential career, you know, possible Olympic yeah. Games. Where and I got invited up to the high performance team in in this in, in Dublin here to train with household names, you know, Andy Lee, Kennedy, yeah. Katie Taylor, Conlon, all these guys. You know what I mean? Darren Sutherland, God be good to him. Like you know, but just. Really, you know, top level Olympic legends, Irish boxing yeah. legends, and I loved it up there. I loved it up there. Um, every Tuesday to Friday, we stayed up there with everything, uh, all the facilities, all the you know, whatever. But every Friday, I had to go back home and went back into a very, you know, unhealthy kind of a toxic environment. Then drinking drugs, just searching for oblivion. You know, I spent a lot of my years like that, burning the candle at both ends. You know, yeah. not knowing how to go of it, but sometimes saying, "Ah, sure, next week I'll change," or next month. And the funny thing is, you don't think you're doing too much, like you don't think you're being that kind of off the rails or whatever, because everyone's doing it around you. You think yeah. everyone's doing it, like you know what I mean? And you're also thinking, if I'm only doing it on the weekend, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, and then, I'm not addicted. Yes, I can, I can go yeah. Monday to Thursday and I'm fresh. Yeah. But then when you're on it for the weekend, you're like, ah, oh, no, should I can put it down during the week, so I'm not addicted. That's it. Well, try and go a few weekends without doing it. Then. That's it. And then you realize, oh bollocks. Mm, and it was like that, Terence. It was like that with me. Because I felt like as a youngster, like you don't know when you pa- when you cross the invisible line of you're screwed now, you're mm. you're hooked, you're deep now. You know yeah, you yeah, don't definitely. you don't know that there is no kind of a a sign a sign to yeah. say oh if you if you keep going you're yeah. even though you probably do know like you're going down the wrong road but there's there's no kind of a threshold. Uh, it's a fine line between the owner on the weekends yeah. and then you're stuck in the gap on a Wednesday and you're the owner and you're like ah yeah. And when I think back as well, a great crack, it's fun as well. Do you know what I mean? Because it. it it was good fun. Like, as much as it was bad, mad stuff as well. Like, you know, it was, like, you grew up in that. That was just cracking the, the buzz of it all. Um, but like, you know, you were so, I was so young, I'd shake off, I had this innate ability to shake off the damage of the weekend before. A couple of blowouts, three or four yeah. sessions and you're back in the game. Yeah. You think, oh, that's grand, so I could do that. You know, and then, you know, eventually you come to a stage where you can't do it anymore. You can't keep shaking and you're in trouble then, mm. you know, and I ended up in trouble with it. You when the take its toll on you eventually. It did, yeah. When did that happen for you? Or when did you think you hit that wall there? Um, well, throughout my like, there was many, there was many different stages throughout my throughout my early life where was cause for could have been cause for intervention, say, or alarm bells or whatever. But I 
brush it off. You justify it. It's mad when you're in addiction, right? Addiction is something that like no one wants to say I'm in addiction or nobody wants to say I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict or I'm a compulsive gambler or whatever because there's a shame attached mm. to all of that. And as society, we still haven't changed around that. So people will try and work their way out of that without actually acknowledging or taking ownership. They'll try and, like for me, I always try to find a way around it without actually addressing it. You know what I mean? Without actually addressing the issue. Yeah, like so people look out to walk every day, but they're still drinking in the night. They're like, well, I can go out to walk. Yeah, they're functioning. They're yeah, functioning they're alcoholics still alcoholic. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. there's still a problem. Their life is unmanageable in a way, in other ways. And for me, there was a load of incidents like that. But changing meant putting everything away and giving up everything. Now, the prospect of that and then the thoughts of what life would be like without the drink, if that was, that was such a huge part of my life, how can I live without that? I'm going to break all my friends. I won't be able to go here. I won't be able to go there. I can't do that. Oh, geez. So I'll try different ways of making it work and you try different drinks you try different clubs different pubs different friends different groups try all every trick in the book but the last uh, tr you know never tried stop actually stop stopping yeah but i realized when i when i did need to stop i, I had to ask for help i needed support like you know what i mean i needed support and then in early two, two like early 2012 i went into a rehabilitation and uh best best thing ever in my whole life um but uh my addiction cost me Olympic Games and everything. Like you know, what I mean, that's the level of, you know, that's 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 it. You know, that's what it took for me. I don't like. I've made peace with that. I don't think now. I don't regret it. Like well, I obviously regret it. I don't sit down and feel. Don't dwell on. I, it. I don't dwell on yeah. it because I think. Look, listen. That was my path. I had to walk it, and I'm very happy now in my where I am in my life now. And do you know what? I didn't make the Olympics, but you know. I helped some other people, you know, preparing for the Olympics. I helped Katie prepare for the London Olympics, you know, and to prepare her for her opponent that she boxed in the final, Sofia Ochigava, the Southpaw, you know. So I remember I went to Olympic training camp with Katie as my inspiring partner. And, um, and, and you know, I, I'm a coach now today, as well as being an active boxer still. I've, I haven't got long left in my own career, but maybe I'll help somebody someday to go to the Olympics. Maybe I'll coach somebody, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's okay if it's okay for me. I've made peace with it basically. You know what mm. I mean? It's not something I dwell on. But that's it, yeah. That's mm. really it, you know. Take us back to twenty twelve. Like where what what like where did you draw the line that and say, right, this is it. I'm actually gonna swallow my pride and say I need help here. It got so it got to a dangerous stage where I was blacking out. I was making silly, silly mistakes, doing things that I had no recollection of, no control of. Waking up the next morning, being told this, being told that, going, oh, no, are you serious, you know? And then I just realized that, like, where's the fun in all of this? Because one time it was fun, you know? Where's the fun in all of this? Like, how can it be fun waking up, regrets, remorse, guilt, shame, embarrassment? And you're paying money for all of this, don't forget, you know? And then... Uh, now, that's easier to say. That's a very logical, kind of a reasonable yeah, way of saying, yeah, why, you know? But when it, yeah. You can't... But yeah, it just got to the stage where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I mean? And uh, I knew I had to change. And <clears throat> the sad thing is, um, and it's important for us to say this, is suicide became a real possibility, a real option for me, you know? A real option, uh, an attractive 
kind of a prospect, you know, which is terrible and became like an out for me, you know. And then it was either kind of that way or that way. And I didn't know anything about recovery in the sense that I didn't know anything about what help was out there. I knew I, I didn't know anything about therapists or support meetings or support groups or whatever. I had no clue. Mm. Like I was like I was like an alien or something. Do you know what I mean? Like if you can't change, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, if you can't do it of your own accord or like, you know, and not no, knowing. That's not uncommon. A lot of yeah. people don't realise how much help there is out How there. much help? A lot of people don't. And when I put out the hand and look for help, I had to get honest with Eric. I had to get straight up and honest with myself. Because, and I had to change how I was living my life. I Like, for dishonesty goes hand in hand with addiction, you know? It's just, it's just part and parcel. You can't do anything about it. Like, so being dishonest, discreet, secretive, all that. I had to go the opposite. I had to take ownership. I had to accept. I had to be honest, come forward. And because no matter how smart or clever you think you are, man, you cannot change something or do something a, a, about an issue unless you acknowledge the issue mm. and, 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 and see it as a real issue, a real problem, you know. But if the problem is hidden up and person, if you don't address it that way, if you don't take ownership of it, you can't do anything about it. So I had to see it for a problem. I said, really, I have a problem here and I need help with it. And then, uh, man... <laughs> When I went into that, to the rehab and all that, it just opened the door to me, opened the doors to a whole new world, a whole new possibility, a whole new, diff- you know, different avenues, different possibilities, different opportunities. Mm. And I just kind of uh, decided to kind of go that way, you know? Well, I had to, you, I, you know, the, the juncture, you come to the Y in the road, go to, you can go back this way and keep doing the same thing and hope for the best. But that's the definition of insanity. insanity yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, go this way and, and, and see see what, you know, and, and my life started to pick up and thank God I'm in a good old place today, yeah. Mm, for anybody who is in recovery, look good, great, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done myself mm. as well. And again, opportunities start coming up, you start meeting new people, like you, you stop being with the same clique that's in the mm. pub and the same people that are going to end up back in the gaff with and you're doing it and... Like, it's hard to even explain, isn't it? You just look at life different. You start thinking different. You get me? Like, mm. like the way I... Like, I used to be a very negative person. Do you get mm. me? Like, even my thoughts, like, I'd be like... Yeah. Like, even if I'd be on social media, I'd be looking at people and say, look at that fucking age, and look at this, yeah. and look at that. And now I'm just like... I'm at a stage in my life now where I'm just like... Just happier now. Do you get me now? Although, yeah. like... I, I only got to a year uh, clean and sober there the other week. Oh, well done. A couple of weeks ago, I was... Great milestone. It is, it is. It's a big one. It was a tough mm. one as well because I got to eight months, didn't I? And then I fucked up. And I said, right, we'll start again, clean slate. Yeah. And then I got to the year. But I was a year, I was a year sober. Mm. About three weeks before I posted it on social media. And the reason mm. why I didn't is because I had all intentions mm. of booking a hotel on a Friday to a Sunday and going on a big bender on my own. And I was just going to say, because I wanted to get out, something come over me. Mm. And I, I don't know whether it was the, uh, the pressure of being the year sober was coming up. Because mm. I didn't take too much notice of it, but I knew it was coming, Jamie, and I don't know. So I never posted that when I was, because I was saying, I'm not going to do that. And then the one I've been that two weeks later. So I held off and I said, I'm just not even going to acknowledge it. Mm. And I'm going to do that. And for some reason, I still get like that now. Like, and mm. I have a lot of good people around me. Obviously, I have Calvin there, but I've met a lot of good people yeah. through this podcast. I've, Lim Luan yeah. and Will R. White and Brilliant. people who know the crack and yeah. the Brian Pennies and all, do you know what I mean? Who yeah. I talk to regularly. Yeah. And uh, I chat to them about it and stuff. Yeah. But it, like, 
Like they say that'll pass eventually. Like yeah, you know no, what I mean? it will. But you, you know, you talked about support. Support, yeah. man. Without support, it's not possible. Mm. It's a, support is essential for someone wanting to change. So you got to be around like-minded people. You know, yeah. you got to be around people who've been there, been down that road. They 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 speak the same language as you. Yeah. You know, like someone said to me before, if you sit in a barber's long enough. You're going to get your hair cut. You know what I mean. And so too, you know, like so. This is what this is the thing, right? You're talking about like there's addiction is is prevalent in society. That's just the way it is. Like you know what I mean. And there's many people who are in addiction, but they're kind of as you said, getting through life and they're all right. They're not too bad, you know. And they're kind of they think they're not too bad because they're living some sort of a normal life yeah. or a functional life. And then you've got the others who are just really extreme, where it's kind of like, and that was me. I was extreme in the sense that I couldn't stop when I started, you know? And mm. and there was days where I... Now, I wasn't a drinker every day or I wasn't somebody that used or whatever every day. It was only like binging or something come out. So that's why I struggled with actually thinking that I had a problem or I was an addict or, or an alcoholic or et cetera, you know? Um, because the the perception I had of someone like that was someone stuck with a bottle down by the river and... Every day drinking it's like that, a, a wine or type of... vision of what yes. that person yeah. is. Yes. Not? Now, I was that person as well though, who did it every day. Yeah. It got to that point where the last, say, three, four months mm. before getting clean mm. would have been every, in every single day thing. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, I'm in the gutter here. Yeah. And, but it's still, you'd still lie to yourself. You'd still say, but I'm not like, I'm not out in the streets and I'm not bleeding sitting in my own piss and you're still trying to think of people wash off yeah. and you, they do you to justify yourself while you're yeah. dipping into a bag at three o'clock yeah. in the day yeah. and you're like what is going on here but that's another thing there now as a society because you do know that the country is awash with drugs right mm-hmm. cocaine and everything in this country is a huge demand for it what's wrong with us mm. as a society what is wrong with us as a people that we have to it's not a cheap drug mm. it's not a cheap drug it costs a lot of money mm. but it lasts a very short the, the the effect lasts a very short yeah. period of time, so you could easily spend two three hundred quid easily in one night out just on cocaine without the drink or without clubs or without paying for taxis or whatever you, yeah. you know and you and and and, and it can go on you can pay more you know you can pay mm. more but like what is that like, and people are leaving themselves in terrible debt yeah. and ter- what is wrong? Because to be honest with you, like it's not even the high is not even it's a manufactured high. It's a yeah, it's an artificial high. Yeah. The laugh and everything is not right. Like look at the good laughs that you're giving, having here, and mm. people are getting from you. It's all natural. It's real. Why do we have to? Why are people doing that? There's there's a problem. You know, there's an emotional wound there, and unless they tidy up that, or unless they address that and get some help with that in sport. It's not going to get any better, do you know? And I just feel like that we need to become more whole, whole, wholesome. Because when I was sitting in that rehabilitation center, I was thinking, my life is over. I'm screwed. What am I going to do? What am I going to buzz off? And now I can't fill the days. There's not enough hours in the days. Mm. Life, I'm living, you know, I'm li- really and truly living. So you do over the boxing, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, top on Sorry, that, yeah. Yeah. Go drop a water yeah, there, will you? Come on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes. When did you tone pro work? That's the mad thing, yeah. yeah. Like, I, 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 at 28 years of age, I kind of retired from boxing, you know. Um, 
I wasn't long back from Kazakhstan. I spent eight months in Kazakhstan. You know that world boxing world. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. One of the best experiences I've had in my life, but one of the toughest as well. Real, real tough environment. Like, but I learned so mm. much. That was a mad setup. That wasn't it. Mental. Yeah. Most of the Irish lads could box at home, train at home. Sorry, and go and fight for their franchises. Yeah, but the. Kazakhstan franchise wanted you there in camp. We're staying in the foothills of the Almaty Mountains. It was a real rocky story, you know? Minus 30 in the winter. Yeah. What? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Minus 30 in the winter. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely bonkers. Like, and these guys really chiseled, like, you know. What year are we talking now? 2012, 2013. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, yeah, I'd, it was an amazing experience. One of the just incredible experience and when I came back then that kind of gave me the impetus gave me the confidence to go back and look at education again do you know what I mean because if I can survive Kazakhstan I can go back <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> yeah but I was moving in more cir- better circles like you know when I say like more supportive circles you're talking about like you know I just fear that kind of fear of of education because of my primary and secondary experiences so I thought I closed the door, locked that away in the basement, like never gone near there, you know. But then when I was 28, I was standing, well, I realized that I put all my life, all my eggs into one basket. I was, I gave all my life to boxing. I have no education, no work experience. Uh, I have two young boys under the age of 10. Like, what do I do? Like, you know, I'm not funded by Sport Ireland anymore. I'm not number one in Ireland anymore. And I'm standing in the queue signing on the doll, you know. I'm kind of like, this is not how I envisaged my life to be. And that's when I decided to call boxing, call it, you know, a day on boxing. um, And opened my mind to going back into education. And uh, I took on a two-year full-time diploma course in 2013 and graduated in 2015 with a diploma in counseling and psychotherapy because that gave me so much help and support. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back into that area. I was about to go for my degree in 2016 when I had this crazy idea to kind of, hey, I think you have another round left in you, you know? And that was it. I had so much regrets. Like I let down a lot of, let down my family and my coach and all that to put a lot of time and everything. And I just felt, look, I won a hell of a lot as an amateur. I did. European, like I'm a major medal winner, five-time Irish senior champion. Um, I've won a lot but I missed out on a lot too and I just kind of felt like do you know what I want to make amends I want to answer a few right a few wrongs Yeah. and I con- the conclusion was I can always go back and box or do my degree but I can't always go back and box Yeah. so I, at 30 a month before my 31st birthday I turned professional and look I won the Celtic title I won the Irish title and I got two chances to step up to world level on Sky Sports came up short nearly pulled it off against Alpha Barrett didn't get close against Robisi Ramirez, one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> but hey, man, the, how do you measure success? Ten years ago, I was in on my knees, a broken man. Yeah. There I was, five, six weeks ago, walking out in front of 15,000 people in yeah. the world media. Yeah. Just incredible. Do you know what something, Eric, I noticed about you when you box? Your box was smiling on your face. Yeah. It's like you're aware. Like, I don't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like probably trying to befriend him. Ah, come yeah, on, man. Don't yeah. be. Ah, yeah. come on. Let's do it. Yeah. We can be friends. <laughs> but no, you're so. It's like even after you're so grateful. Even like after your last defeat, you, you embrace each other. You love it. You're so yeah. grateful to be there. It's like you're aware. I haven't got many more of these left in me. I know this is like. This is going to be few and far between the amount of times I get back in between these ropes. And you're embracing it, which I don't think a lot of people do. Even in defeat, you were like, you know what? Yeah, he's the better man and oh, let's appreciate him. So good. Whereas some people would be bit on that situation be like, no, fuck this and this, mm-hmm. that. This is what went wrong and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you you accepted it. Yeah, I lost. We move yeah. on. 
yeah. let's acknowledge how great he is. And you see, Calvin, it comes back to where I used to, the outcome of a boxing match used to determine my self-worth. Mm. Yeah. It used to feel crap. But like I walked out of that arena, the Hydro Arena in Glasgow, not feeling like a loser, even though I lost the fight and I was bitterly disappointed. I didn't give a better showing. Like the least, the lowest expectation I had of myself was to give him a good run for his money and go the distance. And in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I could pull it off. Like that's the, the fighter's yeah. mentality, you know. You know, I you wouldn't have got have in. That though. You have to. I wouldn't have got in the ring if I didn't think like that. But I walked out there feeling like like a winner, yeah. you know. Now, and I know like, I, I said this, like you know, done it an interview with Gavin Casey as well. He's a brilliant, brilliant journalist. And I said, like, keyboard warriors be like, oh, you got smashed or whatever. Yeah. They don't understand, you know, the 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 the, the, the success is 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 getting in there to yeah. fight one of the greatest ever. I didn't pull it off, but like at the end of the day, probably not, I probably wasn't supposed to. He's 28 in his prime, double Olympic champion. Mm. I'm 36. After being through the mill, even getting there is, yeah, is yeah, in yeah, a way, yeah. it's heroic. You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, so, and then in the back of my, like there's also, for me, I want to be a coach. Like I say, I am a coach. My fighters, I believe, will get to that level some stage and I can, Talk them through it. I've been there, you know. Mm. So that will help too, like, you know. Right. <laughs> we're at the end of the round here. We took so many tangents in that fucking Yeah, podcast. where did it go? Jesus. Like, you should have um, known the fellas up and down the country giving talks. You should have known he could talk. Eric, <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah. an absolute legend. Yeah. I recommend following him on Twitter as well. You're a good crack on Thanks, Twitter lad. as well. Time now for the final guest this week, Keith Tracy. Keith was one of Ireland's most promising young footballers at one stage in his career, but his career was derailed by a battle with addiction that nearly killed him. Keith's episode was a favourite for a lot of people and a personal favourite of mine and I definitely recommend it that you listen to this as it connected with a lot of people. By the age of 17, 18, I was after, whatever contract I was after getting, I don't know whether it was my second professional or tour professional contract, but I bought an apartment and I bought a Range Rover. The Range Rover didn't even have a licence. I just text somebody, I want a Range Rover, turned up the next day, got me apartment. And like the apartment, the only thing that Blackburn said was buy the apartment, like, the training ground is in a place called Brock Hall Village, like a gated community. So my apartment was in there, in where the training ground is. And like at 17, I think I was on two and a half grand a week. I got a 50 grand signing on bonus. Fucking like danger. Danger like it's And how, like you said that was a second or third professional contract. How frequent would you get contracts? Yeah, uh, well, the, the first one I signed when I went over at 15 was a three-year deal. But like literally after the first time I trained with the, the first team, they were like, fucking give him another one because somebody will come in and nick him or whatever. So I got a, another, I jumped up to £800 a week and then it was Allardyce had a look at me and he was like, listen, we're going to sort you out. We're going to put you on a decent Premier League fucking thing. And he came in with like two and a half grand. I was thinking, it was like, here we go, 50 bags a week, like two and a half grand a week. But it was, I was on, if we won the game of football, the bonus was three grand. It was a grand a point, the bonus. So if we won the game of football, I'd actually earn more money than I had my salary. Like. That's blatant mental, that like, because you always hear these mad little bonuses and all for footballers like there's like there's Make appearance, appearance bonuses yeah, yeah. and there's all this carry on there's like people think you're on like say the big players like 50 grand a week but there's goal bonuses and clean sheet bonuses yeah. and there's all this carry on it's made oh you heard that you got like you like you obviously got a bonus if you play but then you can get a bonus if you don't play as well so no matter what you're going to get a bonus in the yeah, game you get a, you get even if you draw lose win you get a bonus you get an appearance bonus I had an appearance bonus at Burnley, but it was only after the 70, uh, before the 75th minute. So if I came on in the 80th minute, I didn't get paid. 
So I had to come on before the 75th minute. And you want to see it, if you like, you look through live score or whatever, the amount of times I came on in like the 76th, no 79th. Uh, they know what they're doing. Like, clubs aren't stupid. They'll sit there and go, we bring Keith on. But that's just the manager, on, isn't it, though, as well? Because what's your man's name who did that James English podcast? Yeah, he played for Everton. Billy something. I can't remember his name, but I listened to that podcast. Scouse fella played for Everton, yeah. And uh, a brilliant podcast, by the way. But in it, he was saying that, he was injured, but he was on the bench and he was saying, look, I can't fucking play this game and whatever. And then it came to about the 90th minute. I forget how the manager was or everything. But he brought him on. And he's like, I can't, my leg is fucked. We ended up bringing him on. And then after the game, the manager threw his arm around the shoulder and he says, that was your so-and-so appearance. Now you had to get this amount of money. An yeah. extra, say, 30, 50 grand. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lump as well. And he was like, lump oh, we didn't yeah, even, yeah. he said he didn't even know it to him because he... He had a bad problem with the alcohol as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't even realise that's where it was over, but he threw him on and then he was like, fair play to him for doing that, you know what I mean? Yeah, fair play. So you think that the managers would just be like, throw him on the 74th minute there. Yeah. It's not their money. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, you said at 17 you had a Range Rover no licence. Are you drinking at that age, Keith? Or... Yeah, I would have been drinking like, uh, probably, yeah, the back end of 16. I had, I, my first couple of points was me going away party, like at, at 14, 15, I had a couple of points in Fairview Park. And I fucked off over. Just got my head down for the first couple of months. But then, like, I started getting comfortable with my roommate, Frankie. There was a couple of Scottish boys that I got friendly with and soon enough, there's a fucking drinking skill. Like, and I don't know what it was. Like, all the lads would walk into the English pubs and you wouldn't get there. But annoyed, like, I'd walk in and go, there's a point. And they'd give it to me. I played in 16. It was weird. Like, but, mm. yeah, no, I, I used to, yeah. But, like, it wasn't a big thing. It was, like, Probably once a week, probably once every two weeks, it wouldn't be a big thing. Like one blowout. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But at the time, there was no alarm bells, like, because I was still walking hard at the football. Yeah, and you're young as well. Yeah. Like, and he's going out, out, like, going around, out into the town, like the dog's bollocks. Yeah, well, Blackburn, like you said, where I lived in Brockhall Village, it was like fucking Emmerdale Farm. So we had, it was like a 20 minute drive to Blackburn to get into the city centre. And yeah, we were in there most nights. Well, I was in there most nights towards the end because I, I, I ended up in a fucking weird, place where I was too good for the reserves but not quite good enough for the force team so I was in like right, you're on the bench for the force team don't play with the reserves in case you're playing for the force team mm. so I was in that limbo of not playing so I just ended up on the fucking sauce like yeah. and you're, you're, like I say you're in this limbo so like nobody ever really he doesn't look right yeah. I wasn't fucking playing I was just travelling everywhere yeah. so yeah I got away with it for a long time like. yeah um, I, uh, you know you signed the YTS initially yeah do you have to go to school then? Yeah, uh, at Blackburn, I was supposed to do two days a week in a place called Moyers Gove College. Uh, a full day Monday. No, half day Monday and a full day Wednesday. But like I said, I, I remember, like I think, I, did, I didn't do the course. It was some sort of bleeding bollocksy course I was supposed to do. But I, I never turned up. I never did it. I would end up training with the reserves and the force team, playing for the reserves and the force team. So they were just like, Keith, you scrap college. And I th Blackburn, I think, got fined two and a half grand. You know, absolute peanuts like so yeah. the human being they didn't give a fuck about because at the time everybody's like well he's going to be a football he's going to have millions like who gives yeah. a fuck if he has an education so yeah it was it uh, defeats the purpose of a YTS then doesn't it really exactly, yeah. yeah but like I said everything was coming so quick I think it took a little bit like even the people in Blackburn by surprise like oh well fuck if he's he's better off training with the force team than learning some shite in college like that was always what they thought and Obviously, the human being was getting left behind, but the fucking footballer was yeah. driving. Like, yeah. Did you enjoy that time at Blackburn? I loved it, yeah. It was a bit tarnished towards the end, but that, that was my own fault. Like, I, I spent fucking six years there and I got on with all the managers, got on with most of the players. The receptionist looked after me. It was, 
I did really enjoy it, but towards the end, yeah, I got, I got like that was my own fault. They crashed my car with no license, and Allardyce fucking had enough of me. Wouldn't even talk to me. Like, who got you the car? How did you... that was my agent? I, I, I won't mention an Irish bloke, but I, I won't mention him. But it was a bit of a fucking, like, like I say again, it was just yes man like nobody had the bollocks to say you're not fucking getting that like yeah. they were just sort of giving me what I wanted but had you not have given it to me I'm sure I would have been an agent around the corner and said I'll fucking get it for you yeah. you know I would have moved on probably so it was a rock and a hard place for other people as well like. so come here Allardyce comes in yeah he like he's a no nonsense type of fella yeah. and he just have no time for you like if you were acting the bollocks weirdly enough he fucking loved me as a person like we'd, we'd have a bit of crack and like he, he was big on nights out but he'd bring families like he said get your missus come out we'll do this and his missus and everybody go out like a big team bonding he, he was a nice bloke but he just I remember like the falling out I had with him we went we were in we went to Austria for pre-season and we were fucking running like lunatics but he brought this fucking uh, like a a psychiatrist with him for the players you know to unload on like whatever you're giving out about but nobody would talk to him because everybody knew, well, whatever they say to him, he's going to go back to Allardyce because yeah. he's employed by fucking Allardyce. Mm. So your man was like, nobody's talking to me, Gaffer. So he's like, well, one of the young kids fucking better talk to you. Dickhead here has to talk to him, doesn't he? So I had a chat with him. He's like, oh, look, why do you not feel you're in the team? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, well, listen, Martin's playing ahead of me, a fella called Martin against Pedersen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a fella called him. Oh, <laughs> fella no called big deal, yeah. Yeah, left peg like I want the thing. Huh? But I, I start, like, Sorry, previous to that, me, me and Allardyce has had it out and Allardyce gave a reason that Martin had a long throw. Like, oh, well, if you get a, a fucking throw in, Martin and put it into the box from anywhere. And I was like, is that what gets you into a Premier League team? Yeah. So I unloaded that onto the psychiatrist saying, like, I can't believe he's saying Martin is ahead of me because of a long throw. He said, like, oh, well, bloody blah, blah, blah. Two days later, flew back to Manchester, like, ready to start the season. Next morning, come in. Yeah, Keith, you're going along to Sheffield, you know you. So you think he... He ratted you out. to be a snake in the camp because I, I was literally the number two left winger. Yeah. And like I, at what, 19, 20 on the bench in the Premier League coming on every now and then, I was happy enough where I was like in my career. Mm. And they were like, nah, you're out, Sheffield United. And I said, I remember sitting in the office and saying to Allardyce, no, I don't want to go. He said, you haven't got a choice, son. Like real, just cultural, you haven't got a choice. And I think he was big mates with Kevin Blackwell, the manager of Sheffield United at the time. So, But when I went, I actually loved it. Because Blackburn were getting like 16, 17,000 in the Premier League. Because they didn't have like a big fan base. Yeah. And then I, I went to fucking Sheffield United. We're playing fucking Park Vale in the Cup. There's 35,000 there bouncing like yeah. mentally. That was a proper, proper fucking big club. So although I was reluctant, I fucking loved them when I got there. Like. Yeah. It's a bit of a blatant harsh ending though, isn't it? Like, and it, like I said, if, you, if you're putting two and two together... Like it probably look and say that blade. Oh, but that that was only the loan. I I fucked it up myself. Like when he actually got rid of me out of the club, that that was my own fault. I I I fucked up the loan. I I'm on loan at Sheffield United at this time, and I was at that. I think we played twenty games that season in the championship, and I played seventeen or eighteen of them, and I I scored against Leicester. I had a couple of assists. I was doing okay, and uh, we were playing Plymouth away, and we're training on the Friday about to drive down. And I'd missed missed a couple of days in training because of a lower back injury. And Blackwell comes out. He's like, Keith, we're not going to bother with you traveling down to Plymouth. It's a long way. Don't want you sitting on a coach. We have a game on Tuesday at home. You're in for that. So I say, yeah, no problem. I understand. Don't want me on the coach. No problem. So the, the assistant manager, Sam Ellis, shouts, everybody who's not playing on the line. So he's not talking about me. Like, I, I've played most of the games this season. He's like, I am talking about you, son. Over you come. I was like, nah, not happening. Like, just a bit of a diva, but I was like, if my back is sore and you don't want me to You're sit on a bus... You're not fit enough to sit on a couch. 
this is what I was saying. But he's like, right, on the line. I just kept saying no. He said, listen, if you don't want to do it, get your bag, get your boots and fuck off. But thinking back, it was probably a throwaway comment, you know, just a bit of a threat. Yeah. But I went and got my boots and fucked off like and went back to Blackburn. And he turned up the next day, Allardyce walked in. He hadn't a fucking clue like what happened. I had to relay the whole thing to him and yeah, so said that went down well, did it? <laughs> not really. Like I said, he was he was good welds with black good mates with black welds, so they were sort of fucking having a little bitch about me. And then I had no license on it was Boxing Day over there, and we were training at Ewood Park. Um, bear in mind, he's already pissed off because of what I've done with the with Sheffield. You know, I, I crash my car. Please come uh, impound the car and blah blah blah. I get a taxi to train and. By the time I get there, the police have already fucking spoke to Allardyce. Keith's been in a car accident, blah, blah, blah. So I get there a little bit late. The lads are on the pitch training. I've had to walk around them and come into the, the changing room, start getting ready for training. Dr. Batty walks in. He's like, Keith, you've been sacked. The gaffer doesn't want to talk. You just get your stuff and fuck off. So I played it. Like, what were you talking about? He's like, the police have been on the phone. So there's, there's no point. Like, So I, I didn't even speak to Allardyce. I just left. I went home to Dublin. Uh, yeah, like I say, Boxing Day. And the end of January, Preston ring and asked if I, I want to come to them. But did like Blackburn tried to sack me, but my agent rang me a couple of weeks in as I was over here and said, like, they can't sack you. We've been through your, your contract. contract. They can't sack yeah. you. So Allardyce said, just stay in Dublin and they'll pay you. Doesn't want you back. Mm. So I was going to say, it's a bit blatant harsh to be able to just sack you. Like, yeah. Regardless. Like, what are you, about 20? 20, 2021 20, at that time, yeah. yeah. So. But like you say, I think it was a, a lot of things, the, the Sheffield United oh, thing, and mm. probably saying, like, what's he fucking talking about with Martin, like, about the long Did throw? you think you had a bit of an ego, Keith? Like, do you think, like, I'm better than all these here, especially at Sheffield United, and you're like, I'm probably too good to be playing by yours. Mm. So the cheeky you to tell me to get me built and fuck off. Uh, no, it wasn't an ego thing, because there was, like, Gary Speed was part of that Sheffield United team, so there was some proper players in it. Like, mm. I, I didn't look down my nose at them, because I played my first game in the championship against Middlesbrough for them. And I remember thinking, this is a fucking decent standard. There's some decent players here. And like, there's very little respect in that league. Like, you, you know, Ronaldo gets the ball, people drop three or four yards off him. Yeah. Don't get that in the championship. You just fucking go, like, bang, bang, bang. And yeah, no, I, I, a lot of respect. But like, when you're having a chat with the manager and he's saying, like, you're not traveling because you're back and, you know, bloody black, great. And then the other fella shouting, come over here and run. You're thinking, well, he's saying one, you're saying another. And like, you're always, like, there's always players in your ear saying, you need to stand up for yourself. You need to be a bit stronger. So, I probably chose the wrong time to do it. I should have yeah. done the running and then went to him after and said, Sam, what the fuck am I running for? Like, yeah. yeah, so I think it probably was. Like football, I did develop into a very big ego and it was sort of a, probably a shield like to have, have a bit of an ego because there's so much noise around you at the time. You develop this thick skin and a bit of a personality that's not even really me. It's just yeah. something that became, like I became and when, when you're drinking so much, <clears throat> people start to expect of you. And you sort of just roll into this character and you're thinking, how the fuck have I got here? But this is what I am and who I am now. And it was just fucking weird. Mm. Yeah, so Preston give you the call then in January, did you say? Yeah, at the end of January, Darren Ferguson, like I said, bleeding, uh, Alex Ferguson's son, Darren rang me. So like, do you want to come over? I, I understand your, your situation at Blackburn and blah, blah, blah. So I, I flew over, uh, done the medical, failed the fucking medical. Um, on what? Me back. I, I had the... I, I bent over in front of the, the physio and he, like, my back apparently was fucking lopsided. He was like, oh, Jesus. So we had to go from Preston to Manchester to get an MRI scan. Uh, <laughs> as we're actually, as we're on the way from Preston to Manchester, you remember Tugoy, 
the yeah. descent of my fella for, yeah. for Blackburn. Me and this physio, I've, I've only just met like an hour ago to do this fucking medical, are sitting in the car on the way to Manchester. Two guys flying down the motorway in a bleeding Range Rover, looks and lowers down his window. He's like, Keith, Tugs, what's up? Where are you going? I said, I'm, I'm on the way to do a medical. Oh, brilliant, man. Who, who are you going to? Preston. Oh, they're shy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm left like in the car for the next 45 minutes with this physio. Like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, but now I failed the medical on me, on me, uh, on me back. And I remember getting, we went to Manchester, I'd done the MRI scan, travel back to Preston. I'm in the stadium with, uh, with my agent and the, the deadline was at five o'clock. It's like got half four, 20 to five. And I'm thinking, I'm going to end up back in Dublin on the piss here. Like. And Fergie walks through the door. He said, listen, you failed your medical. Uh, the contract that we were offering you was like a four-year deal on decent whack. And he's like, that's off the table. Uh, we've given you a two and a half year deal on fucking shit money. And I, I was like, well, I'm not taking it. He said, well, if you don't want to take it, fuck off back to Dublin. And I took it. Yeah. Like, what, what could I do? Like, so... No, but he, everything he said was right. He said, like, you've been at Blackburn six years. You played less than 20 competitive games in the Premiership. How can we throw all this money into you when you haven't proven you can do so it? So he made a valid point. Yeah, there. so yeah. I was like, I, I was on the back foot, but I just had to sort of take it. Like. You were talking there about thinking about having a gaggle. So you started to drink heavily then at this stage as well. Yeah, by the time I went to Preston, I, I was fucking big time on it. But it was like it was weird because me, me drinking... As I saw it by Preston, was fucking out of control. But I started scoring goals and I started playing well and started got into the Irish team. And while my drinking was down, that my football was down exactly the same. So it was really masked how much I was drinking because, like I say, I was scoring goals and doing okay. So yeah, it was it was really getting a hold of me. But like I say, nobody could tell. Do you, think it helped, do you think it helped you cope? Yeah, like like I said, I was running from a lot of fucking things with with feelings and emotions and stuff. I I buried even the homesickness, like. I just, win, lose, or draw, like I knew I was going for a point. And I was even strategical in where, where I'd buy me houses or I'd rent a house. I, I rented a house in a place called Lytham, which was lovely and quiet, but it was only 20 minutes away from Blackpool. And there's fucking all-night casinos and Blackpool and all that. So although I was on the face of it, my manager's thinking, no, he's at this, getting a house in a nice quiet yeah. I'm thinking 20 minutes and I'm in fucking Blackpool here. So it was just fucking me head. I just wasn't wired up right in the start, but... It just one thing after another after another just made me a little bit worse and worse. Yeah, so would you say you're probably a, a functioning alcoholic at this stage? And you know, you heard of people who are able to grow up and go to do a job nine to five, Monday to Friday, but they're an alcoholic. You're out there bleeding, playing professional football. Yeah, well, like I, I only said to, like I said, I was at a wedding on Thursday and me, me mates was having a chat with me mates. And I remember like being, I, I was 17 with one of the Scottish lads and I'm walking from my house down to the Blackburn training ground, two and a half minute walk. And we brought six cans of fossils with us at half eight in the morning. And we left them in the bush for the way back up to the gaff like. And like, I should have been thinking, like, I'm 17, I'm in a decent place, I can kick on here. But all I was thinking, like, how can I cheat the rules? How can I get mm. pissed? And, like, I want to do it, but I want to do it my way. It was, it was just fucking, just not wired up properly at all. Like. So this was at Preston. Uh, you signed the contract. That's in January. What's the rest of that season like then? Uh, well, we're, we're writing the shit. We're, uh, like we're, we're doing okay. When I first saw him, we're doing okay. And I, I'm sort of in and out the team, dropping in and out. Because Ross Wallace was there, a, a decent left winger. So I'm sort of in and out when he's coming off. But I scored a goal to keep us in the league. Uh, this League One, is it? No, this is the championship, championship. at the time. But we're, we're uh, in danger of being relegated to League One. Uh, we played Scuntop at home. 
and Sean St. Ledger actually gave a fucking horrible back pass and we we, we were in the shit and I, sc- I scored a goal in the 94th minute or something and we were mathematically safe after that. But I needed, I, I had a double hernia uh, all throughout the back end. The, the six months of the, that season from January till uh, the end of the season, I, I had a double hernia. So I needed an operation on it. And Fergie was obviously like, we're in the relegations. We can't like let you go and have surgery. We'll just give you painkillers. So I stopped training. Uh, I every like Saturday, Tuesday, like the championship is Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. I'd just be getting injections into my arse, into my hip, and like got to the point like where the physio would be coming in, he pulling down my trousers and going, "Oh, your left cheek has too many holes, and we'll have to go to the right cheek." And like I say again, nobody really gave a fuck about the human being. It was only what can we do to get him out on the pitch. Mm. And now listen, my my drinking was fucking out of control, so I wasn't helping myself at the time either. But there was certain things that the clubs did that they really had like yeah so young there as well Keith that it'd, mm-hmm. it'd be nice for someone to throw an arm around the shoulder and go look go and get that sword yeah stop bleeding drinking here yeah. is everything all right here even after like I say when I scored that goal against Guntorp Darren Ferguson had me playing under the pretense that as soon as we're mathematically safe you're going to get your surgery yeah. so I scored that goal went in to see him like went out Saturday Sunday Monday went in to see him and he's like nah no surgery for you like till the end of the season I was like, but Gaffer, like, I'm literally fucking waste uh, from the waist down. I'm, I'm numb every single game. Like, I yeah, I shit me, shit myself on a night out once. I, after that goal, I, I scored, uh, I scored against Guntorp, and me, me and Ledge, me and Sean Saint Ledge, I went out that night, and I'm fucking knocking back like vodkas and Red Bulls, you know, skittle bombs, the whole fucking shebang. But Ledge is introducing boards to me, like, come on over, Keith, like, bloody with a big student place. Girls are coming over. Oh, how are you doing? This is Keith. So I'm, oh, how are you doing? Like little hug and that. Not having a bar to me like all night, like and you know the Irish accent in England you usually yeah. you're all right, like not having a bar to me, like not fucking nothing. And I, I went in, so I need a piss, went in, sat down in the toilet, like just being lazy, put my trousers down. It's a big fucking shit in the middle of my trousers, like. So these boards are coming over and introducing themselves to me, and like a little hog, the waft of shit is hitting them straight in the face up my back, like fucking shat myself. You didn't even realize that's how bloody like, Couldn't even feel it. Like mental, but yeah, it went on till the end of the season. Like, and you're told, and no, we just need it's the points, it's the points. Then, once we get the points, oh no, well, if, you, if every position we finish is like 500 grand, so then it becomes about the money again. And mm. like I say, it doesn't matter how much pain I'm in, yeah, there's so much money involved in football. Then, like, you're literally you're nothing to them, it's all about where they can actually get how much money they can bring into the club. Like, mm. you're literally just a number, really, aren't just you? Cogging cannon fodder, that's all, yeah, yeah just cannon fodder. But like I said, I'd love to be a bit, like, to know what I know now going into football because I'd have been stronger. Even, like, at Blackburn when I'd be picked for Ireland's 19s and 21s, because I, I was doing well at Blackburn and coming through the ranks, I'd have managers in my year saying, don't go with Ireland. Like, don't go. And I'd be like, but I want to play for Ireland. Mm-hmm. That's, growing up, I've always wanted to play for Ireland, but they try and put a damper on it. They really do. They try and suppress it. And I, I ended up with six Ireland caps. I probably travelled to like into the, I probably got picked into about 30 squads but I only was available to play six times and half of them would I would have been able to play it's just Blackburn saying oh no your hamstring oh, your, your groin or even Preston because I was uh, important to Preston at the time because of the fucking the relegation battle but I was never strong enough but at 20 years old and you've Darren Ferguson or Sam Allardyce telling you these things yeah yeah listen you want to be a big boy yeah. to say like no actually I'm I'm doing this mm. it's, it's it was tough but yeah, you live and learn, don't you, as you get through these things. Yeah, it's a mad one. It's it's, it's mad you were talking about the, your progression with the drinking was going up, but your performance is going up. You'll probably look back now and say, 
like it was nearly balancing out. But if you if the drink wasn't going up so much, where could you have went there? Yeah, but that's it. I always I do think about that sometimes. Like where where could I have got to? But it fucks your head up. Like I I, I went had a couple of years of therapy after after all the drinking and all that shiting. I think I'm in a place now where I'm happy in my own skin, and I, yeah. I don't try and think about what mm. if, what if. It's more of I try and flip around its head because it, it's a negative thought, and I try and turn positive and said, yeah. "Well, I did play for Ireland. Yeah. I should have had fifty caps, but I got six. So fuck it." Like, yeah, a lot of people don't get six. Yeah, I know. Like, you can't be too hard on yourself in this life. So although I was dealing with some issues, I should have done more. Could have done more. I didn't, but I did what I could. So see that there, right? That where you did shit, you shit yourself there. Mm. Like, is that not a turning point for you? Where you're like, I didn't even fucking know about the crap in my bags here. I, I can't feel that. This is wrong. Again, like, when you're a fucking alcoholic, like, you, you lie to yourself. So I, I'm telling myself, I only did that because of the injections. That was nothing to do with having too much to drink or drinking at the wrong times. I've only done that because the club are abusing me. Mm. You know what I mean? It was always somebody else's fault or I'm doing this because of that or that's happening because of this. Or I was getting married, so I'll have a few points. It was always something. It was always someone to blame. It was never myself. And yeah, it wasn't until like, fucking, I'm only, what, 21 now in this scenario. Maybe, what did I finish? 28, I finished drinking, so... Like it took me a long, long time to figure out like what the fuck was wrong with me and address what was going on. Was it just drinking? Or was that? I was drinking, gambling, but like I did have a gambling addiction, but it was it was all relative. So like I was spending thousands, but like I still had dinner on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I still had money to do whatever I wanted. So although I wasn't, I was losing an awful lot of money. I wasn't losing me bollocks. So yeah, it wasn't a problem going. because yeah, you weren't going I had money there. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was even like the porn addiction as well. It was a big porn addiction. Like I, I couldn't get on the laptop without whipping out a fucking like a porn page and just like not even necessarily wanting to do that. Just having a little surf around, like and just mad, like just mad, mad fucking shit that I was in a fucking a mold of like I, I, I treated women in a certain way. I had very little respect for women at the time. And like you have kids and you grow up and you have a wife now. It's you, you just mature and you had like an awful lot of therapy to get get all these issues out and mm -hmm. work them out and why I was down what I was down. Once you figure out why, I think you're, you're starting to address the issue and a couple of years later, I'm a lot better. And you've obviously found out why then, have you? Yeah, well, it, 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 it's a family thing <clears> and I, I'd have no problem bringing it up myself but there's a lot of people that would hear this and it would, probably wouldn't be nice to hear on their ears. So although I've made peace with it and I've moved on, there's a lot of people out there that probably haven't so yeah. you know, I, I can't really mention it. Yeah, well at least you know like, you're not still fucking running from a demon leech and now you have to address that's, yourself though but that like I have to say you know my wife was brilliant had, it, had, it, had I not met my wife I'd have still been I'd probably be dead to be honest with you because I had a, a couple of near scares in England with the drink and my wife just stuck through me and stuck through me and she eventually forced which now I, I say she forced she always wanted me to get therapy always wanted me to speak to somebody but I was I always had this this notion of what people who get therapy like oh, there's something wrong with yeah. them or that that stigma that yeah. people have in their head I had that and eventually, I remember just having a bat in the gaff and my mind just snapping. Like, I, I was in the bat, but my mind was racing. I couldn't, I just couldn't relax. I couldn't switch off. I, I wanted to go to the pub. I, I wanted to do anything I could. I felt like I was missing out. Being, being with my family, I felt like I was missing out and being in the pub and doing whatever else I could do that night. So I just, my mind just fucking snapped and I, I, my wife came in and I was crying in the bat. And I said to her, like, I'm ready. I'll get help. And... I spoke to a therapist for about four years and walked through some issues and now I feel like I'm in a decent enough place that I can I can move on without her. But it's it's good to just have a have a number in my phone, you know, for any sort of 
hiccups could come yeah. along the way because like I, I although I, I haven't had it it'll be five years in November that I haven't had a drink but so I wake up in the morning I'm still a fucking alcoholic do you know what I mean it's, mm. I'm not going to be cured any day so every day is a fight every day is a battle and just have to wake up and I know why I'm doing it because I wake up every morning with the kids jumping on me like do you know what I mean and if I'm in a pub or I'm fucking off a weekend I'm benders I don't get that so yeah. right that's episode 133 thanks very much for listening and we'll be back soon Boom, as Terry would say. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little more. Try everything in it now. Fill your body again. Walk it hard and long. When you finish that. The Hip Knocker. Go down.